Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, 2018 human listeners. Greetings to 2018 human listeners and some people who have just come from 2017 as well. Or if you're listening to this in 2019 because you're just catching up to the podcast, welcome. Welcome. It's about time. Thanks for catching up. Um, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a lot of really funky things to talk to you about this week, primarily about cars, I would say. Um, Let's start it off with Ben, who had a very cool Audi. Tell me Audi about it. How am I how am I supposed to compete with an intro like that? Tell me all of Audi a bit. Audi uh, I can't even manage to pull this one off. 2018's a write-off, guys. Totally. It's just the end right here. The beginning and the the alpha and the omega of 2018 is this podcast. So right. it, I was driving the RS3. Whoa, the baby RS. Yes. Yeah, so it's essentially the smallest RS package you can get. It's it's doesn't weigh all that much. I think it's under 3,500 pounds. And it rides on the uh, is it MQB, Sammy? I believe it's MQB. The one yeah. it's the same thing that underpins the um, the TT um, as well and the TTRS. So the I, I really like the A3 and I really like the S3. These are two vehicles I think that Audi has done. It's you know what's really hard to do is to take a luxury car and to take a luxury brand and make it smaller without losing something. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of companies have tried to do that. Notably Mercedes-Benz, um, and they haven't really succeeded in giving the cars either the same feel from behind the wheel or the same level of execution inside. I think styling has been easy. I think you know people really like the look of, say, the CLA, but I feel like once you're driving it, it doesn't really match what you get from a C-Class. Mm-hmm. Audi, on the other hand, <clears throat> totally different story. Would you agree with me, Sammy? I think I agree with you. I think the, the picture you're painting here is that the car... Um, all around, all across the Audi range, no matter if you're getting the really affordable one or the most expensive one, they feel like they're cut from the same uh, cloth. Yeah, is they that all, what you're saying? They all feel like Audis, for sure. Right. Um, this isn't to say that the A3's interior is as nice or as the A4 or the A7 or the, the S5 or any of that kind of thing. But, but you can see the lineage, you know? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel like you're stepping into a bargain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so when I got into the RS3, I was... I'm already half sold because I think the S3 is fun. I wish it had a manual transmission like everyone who's an enthusiast. I've actually driven Mm -hmm. an S3 manual in Europe, and it was a blast. Um, The RS3, though, takes things to a totally different level in terms of performance because this car, it abandons the four-cylinder engine that you'd find in the A3 or the S3, and it gives you a turbocharged five-cylinder engine. Mm -hmm. It's a 2.5 liter. Mm Mm-hmm. It has 400 horsepower, which is a sizable boost over any of the Turbo 4s that you can get around the price range of the S3. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has 354 pound-feet of torque. Zero to 60 in this car, Audi says four seconds, but independent testing has it down as low as three and a half seconds. Can you believe that? That's insane. That's super quick, especially for a tiny little car like this. It's it's so quick. It's Porsche 911 quick from something that has four doors. Yeah. So I was, you know, I'm excited. I'm like, yes, RS3, bring it on. But here's the weird part. So as you may remember, previous to the RS3, I was driving the Honda Accord. Yes. Accord is a big, well, not big, but it's a large midsize sedan. It's really comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's The ride is comfortable. The materials are nice. So I drop off the Accord, and I, I get into my Beater Legacy wagon. I drive to the Audi dealership, and I get in the RS3, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> 
this feels really, really different. There was a shock in mm -hmm. coming from a midsize commuter, um, as we discussed, premium car to mm -hmm. a fairly expensive luxury car just in terms of it not feeling as sumptuous as the as the Accord. Does that seem okay. weird to you? Well, I think now there's just such a, a stark difference between what the Accord, especially the uh, touring model that you had, and the RS3. I think they just they cater to a, a slightly different mindset of what uh, someone's paying for. Oh, totally different mindset. So I would say in the Accord... It's super soft. It's very comfortable. It's very spacious. It's about like breathing room. While I would say the Audi, especially in this RS3, is about um, premium and sharpness and kind of being bold. Um, but then, you know, I, I I guess you're pointing to like it's gonna feel a little tighter. It's gonna feel a little bit. Uh, I would say a little. I wouldn't call it claustrophobic, but yeah, a little bit cozier. Um, and the materials would be a little bit harsher. Is that the, is that the case? It's it's or, you know or not harsher, but like. That's that is part um, part of what I think I was feeling when I got in the car, mm -hmm. and I had the car for two weeks, which is quite a long time to to be able to test something out, uh, especially a car like this one. And what I realize now is the RS3 experience is something that is so far apart from what you would expect from an entry level luxury car that oh, yeah. that that transition from the Accord to the RS3 was like it was like a a, a perfect introduction to how I had to look at this vehicle. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff about this car that doesn't add up unless you are super interested in the package. Okay. There, there's nothing... To, to my mind, it, it's first of all, it's $55,000 in the United mm -hmm. States. That's, that's mm -hmm. the price tag. That is a lot of money to spend for an entry-level car of any kind. Okay. Audi but has not, this, would you really call it an entry-level car? I mean, it's the out, it's the entry level of the RS models, and yes, they don't get exactly. any better than that, right? Exactly. Like, that's that's the perfect way to put it. It's the same as the CLA AMG. The AMG is like is pretty is pretty uh, is like a, a significant tier above a regular one. However, I will admit the CLA 45 AMG, the interior is very much similar to the regular CLA. Um, and I think the same can be said about the BMW M2 and the 2 Series. No, I agree with you. And uh, and the RS3, I think the way you're trying to say is that the interior design of this car is just such a, a step up as well. No, 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 that's that's not that's not what I'm getting at. I think that when you said entry level to the it's the entry point to the RS line, I think mm -hmm. that's a really good way to look at it because I think the RS buyer is someone who's completely they've bought into what Audi has to offer from a performance perspective. And I think you need to buy into that in order to swallow the fact that you're spending $55,000 on essentially a subcompact sedan. And I, I had a moment where I was driving the RS3 behind an S3. That was exactly this. They were both white, like the one I was driving. The cars are almost indistinguishable from each other. The car has a, uh, the RS3 has uh, two huge exhaust tips at the end instead mm -hmm. of the, the quad tips you'd see on an S3. Mm -hmm. And it has a little bit more aggression in the bumper up front. But it, yep. you have to know what you're looking for to tell them apart. And in, the, in that moment, I realized that you have to be, a, the, the buyer for the RS3 is someone who is totally cool with no one understanding the car at all. Kind of, you're, you're kind of subtle, right? You're kind of like under the radar. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's a car for the driver. It's a car for the buyer. It's not a car to, you know, floss and, and, and 
show off in. No one's going to get it except for you. And that that's really a, a specific type of person. And I think it's a very small market, but it's cool that Audi is willing to cater to those people. Okay. You're telling me this car is uh, is catering, is not showing off. It's not showing off at all. I, okay, I, I, I'm, you, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. As soon as you hit the, as soon as you get, you hit the throttle, uh, and you put it in any of the sport or uh, sorry, the dynamic mode, it's showing off. It sounds insane. It does, but you know, it, Ben, what it I think, sounds awesome. When I think I, I'm not, I'm not debating that. I, you know, I, re, I realize I got ahead of myself talking about the looks of the car versus what it has to offer from a performance okay. perspective, and I, I don't want it to sound like I'm putting down this car because I really liked it a lot. I just, I feel like it's such a unique proposition for people to pay this much for this car. I think it's so different from the S3 in that respect. Even though they're both performance versions of the car, I just think that price gap and that performance gap and and the equipment gap between them is so big that it's a very unique offering. So getting back to what the car has to offer, it is super fast. It is extremely fast at all times. Whether you're off the line, whether you're on the highway, it's surprising how quick you get going quick. Like it's you, so exciting. It's I got a, a seven-speed automatic, the, the DSG transmission. I never even used launch mode, and it was fast. And I didn't use <laughs> launch mode because it's been snowing like crazy here in Montreal for two weeks. It's been a blizzard almost constantly. It's been extremely cold. And the Audi was a lot of fun, I can tell you, to drive in those conditions. Okay, you know one of the cool things about this car that is is probably my favorite thing. You brought up the you bring up the Audi S3 a lot in this uh, in this conversation, and I think the Audi S3 has a pretty significant issue, and that's the you might disagree with me here, but that's the Golf R, which is a very similar car in almost every way. It also has a two liter four cylinder engine that's boosted to heck. It has all wheel drive. Both of these things are using the same platform, the same engine. And you can even get the Golf R with a manual transmission, which is what you can't get in the Audi R, the Audi S3. And material wise between the two, there's not a huge difference. So if somebody was looking to spend some money on a hot hatch, especially a very hot hatch, hatch or uh, something like that, the Golf R makes a ton of sense. And the S3 is kind of like a, you're buying a badge in addition to that, the RS3, on the other hand, it's a whole other thing. It makes me forget everything else that has ever been put on this MQB platform. It surprised me so much, and it drives so well, and that engine is the star of the show, I think. I think the engine is the star of the show as well. Uh, in terms of how it drives, I was never able to forget that I was driving MQB for one very specific reason. I believe almost the entire motor in the RS3 is in front of the front axle. Is that correct? Uh, I would imagine so. It's not easy to stick a, a five-cylinder um, in a compact car. No. So what I what you feel when you're driving this car, and this is especially apparent even at low speeds in the snow. I found that what I did like about the the uh, vehicles driving character was the individual mode really let me mess around with um, what I wanted to be hardcore and what I wanted to be soft. So most of the okay. time, I kept the steering soft, I had the engine hardcore, I had the transmission hardcore, and I had the exhaust on as loud as I could. Mm -hmm. But I also discovered that unless you have the traction control in sport or off completely, it's not that much fun to drive in slippery conditions. Okay. I uh, So that being said, in sport mode, you can get it sideways. You can, uh, with with a reasonable degree of fun, like it doesn't snap you back right away. Okay. But when you're doing that, you there the understeer in the car is prevalent at all times. You always really? yes, it's it's you really feel the weight up front. But it, this is mitigated by the fact that all you have to do to correct 
any kind of plowing or understeer you might experience with the car is just lift the throttle. As mm-hmm. soon as you do that, the car tucks in and turns exactly how you had planned. And then if you get on throttle midway through that tuck, you can kick the tail out quite nicely and control it. The handling for the car, I wouldn't call it a raw driver's car, but I would call it extremely clinical and precise. And within mm-hmm. those parameters, you can have a ton of fun with this vehicle. And it, like you said, it sounds amazing while you're doing it. So I had a slightly different experience than you. Um, I will agree with you. Clinical is a great way to put it. But um, when I had it, I had it, if you might remember, in March last year in Oman. Um, and so the roads were very clear. The weather was super warm, um, though it may have been some sand on the road. Uh, I found the car to actually slide a little bit. And I think you might remember me telling you that this car had a staggered wheel, uh, a staggered tire set, set up. Yeah, I think that comes with – that's an option package, right, that also gives right. you the, the, the Sport Plus or the Dynamic Plus option for the drive drivetrain. Mm-hmm. I, so I didn't have Dynamic Plus. I, I must wonder if the if that would make a big difference to the way that you are uh, experiencing the car. I it might. I mean – to be an understeering sort of car or a plowing sort of car in those conditions. Um, but you're also, you're also on dry pavement. Yeah. Which is a radically different uh, experience. Plus, it, it, I mean, staggered wheels, staggered tire size is often a Band-Aid for, mm-hmm. for vehicle dynamics. And I'm not saying that Audi is using it as a Band-Aid because they know what they're doing when they're tuning a chassis. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's, it's unusual to say the least to be able to order a car that has bigger tires up front than it does in the rear. I think the only other car in modern times that did that was the Pontiac Grand Prix GTP. And yeah. I, I think maybe the Monte Carlo, the V8 version of the Monte Carlo SS, you could do that too. So what I'm trying to say though is is this car can still be a a really a really ro- uh, rowdy car and that was something I was not expecting from Audi's uh, smallest RS line which I would ex- I would have honestly I would have expected to be like a very boring bland car uh, with a lot of a lot of motor and this really? is not that it has I mean I don't know I can't say that I've been completely enamored with uh, past RS models um, and so and especially past sporty Audis like um, anything with an S badge. But the RS7 uh, that I drove was completely insane. It was super fast, but that's that's a $200,000 car. I was expecting <laughs> it to be like that, right? To cut away a quarter of the price um, and still get a very enjoyable experience is something completely different. And that was, I mean, truly, I want to commend Audi for this car. It's it's it is a very good car. Uh, going back to the, you have to be a specific type of buyer to want it though. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of features, you're really not at the same level as you would get in an in an S4. Even uh, my car had mm-hmm. manual seats, uh, mm-hmm. which is like fifty five thousand dollars for manual seats. That's something you're going to have to swallow. The interior materials too are they're not spectacular. They're fine. But right. you don't feel like you're driving a high-end luxury car. Y- you feel like you're having a very, a very high-end performance experience. Okay. So as long as you're willing to pay for that, as long as you're con- okay with the outlay that Audi is asking for this very specific type of drive, then I, I wholeheartedly support this car. And I'm glad that they built it, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that it exists because there aren't a lot of companies that are willing to do something as out there as the RS3 is in that segment. Absolutely. Um, I will ask. This is a, this is probably the hardest uh, the hardest fight I've had with myself. The M2 is one of my favorite cars. I thought it's great because it has a manual transmission, it's rear wheel drive, it's a coupe, um, and it's affordable. Just like uh, I mean, it has the same price tag as this, and it it uh, filters down the, the filters out 
everything but the drive. It's a very focused driver's car. But the RS3 was so much fun to drive that I think I might turn my back on the M2 in this, in this situation. How do you feel about the two cars? And, I mean, if you want to talk about the CLA45 AMG, go for it. That's a very that's another I, very interesting car. I haven't driven the CLA45. I've only driven the uh, the CLA, regular CLA, so I can't really speak to that. Okay. But, um, you know, the M2 is not a car that's ever really lit a fire for me. It's mm-hmm. It's a fine car, but... I think the RS3 has personality going forward in a way that the M2 doesn't with mm-hmm. that five cylinder sound. It's 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 unique. And the styling, I think I give the nod to Audi as well, even though it's even though it's anonymous in the sense that it looks a lot like other Audi A3s and S3s. It's mm-hmm. not anonymous in that if you know what to look for, it's it's a sharp looking car to begin with. And I can also say that I was stalked more often in this car than I can remember for quite a while, just in terms of people following me and then waving or giving me thumbs up. And these are enthusiasts, people who are either right. already driving Audis or other European sports cars. They knew what it was. So That's there really is, cool. Those buyers are out there, and they're after me. And they, they want me to know that they know that I know that they know what I'm driving. <laughs> That's really neat. Can I ask, did your car have a um, an exclusive paint finish, a, a custom paint finish or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. It was, it so, was a white car. So it was just completely, it looked like every other Audi out there until somebody took a look at what was like at the brakes or, um, or the they saw the badge or they or, heard yeah. the engine, you know, like those are, I guess those are the giveaways. And if, if you're a car person, like we are, you're looking for that kind of stuff. So, and Montreal is a huge market for Audi. So there are a lot of Audi literate people in the area. And, uh, especially in the wintertime, you know, like I may or may not have had the car sideways almost constantly. Uh, <laughs> I know my fuel mileage r- reflects that driving style, mm-hmm. uh, but I also drove the car long distances. Um, I went on a couple of 300, 400 kilometer trips and for, for, for our American listeners, it's about 220, 230 miles and the, the car is comfortable. Uh, I, I packed the cargo to the brim, um, during the travels, everything was fine. I had no complaints about it. The suspension, like I said, felt a little stiff after I got out of the Accord, but I quickly got used to it. It doesn't rattle you around, but you definitely notice that you're driving a sporty car. Um, I agree. I, it's one of my honestly, it's one of my favorite favorite cars uh, of last year, but it got lost in the shuffle of everything else. I think. Um, I wish I may, if I could go back to last week's podcast, I would probably throw it in there as well. It was a very enjoyable experience. I remember being completely enamored with it, and I'm I'm hoping that it's not the fact that. Uh, Audi flew me halfway around the world in in a really particularly unique part of town. Um, brag. And I was very I was I was really trying to filter out the the experience of being there. Um, I truly echo everything that you said about this car. It's one of my it was one of my favorites. Um, does it need to have four doors? If you can get this as a two door vehicle with a TTRS, which one would you prefer? I think I would take the RS3 all day. Isn't that interesting? There's no question. Do you mind if I ask? Do you have any re- any reasoning you could provide like that that would make that easier to understand? I just uh, after the it, it's so much more practical. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, the TT is not practical whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It it really really narrows the mission of the vehicle. You have to be totally cool with only having one passenger. I've had three passengers in the in the TT for long distances, and it is not pleasant. It is like you're lying across two seats kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it severely impacts your cargo space while you're doing that. So uh, the people are really into the TT styling. And if you're cool with that and you're cool with the limitations, then fine. But I think that the for me, it would be RS3. 
So I also think, though, I agree with you. When people see a TT, they kind of have this idea of uh, of an enthusiast who's really proud to be an enthusiast and kind of um, it kind of gets in everyone's face in that way. While the RS3 is really much more anonymous, it's like this is a car for me and only for me, and uh, it's it's what I enjoy despite it not looking loud and stylish like a TT RS is. And, and I think what's interesting about both of these cars is that neither of them are passionate cars to drive. They're both very, hmm. very, 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 very good uh, at providing you with speed, handling, grip, but I don't think they're necessarily engaging cars. They're fun, but they're not the kind of car where you're like, oh man, that was an amazing ride. It's it's more the kind of car where you get out and you're super impressed. <laughs> you're just like, wow, this is this is an extremely well-executed package. That, those, that's two, those two those two feelings sound very similar no um, not at all i don't I, I have i mean i think there are cars that are a ton of fun to drive that are terribly executed packages like alfa romeo 4c okay. perfect example this okay i mean come on <laughs> okay i understand that now i understand um i will say i will say every time i got out of the rs3 i wanted to get right back in it so if you don't if i, I don't know what you would where you can get a car like that you can spot, i think it's i think it's one of one style. I think yeah? it's one of one. Okay. That's huge. I think that's a pretty big win for, for Audi. So kudos on, on Audi for getting a kind of unanimous uh, thumbs up from, from the guys over here. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, does it? We kind of like hum and haw on cars until we come to some like uh, halfway point. Where we're like, yeah, it was pretty good with a butt. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that it speaks to the fact that the RS3 is special. And it was designed <laughs> to be special. From the from the get go, yeah. And in this case, I'm using the word special as a standard for unique. It's it, it there's nothing. It's not like their Audi was like, oh, we have to make our own M2. No, they didn't do that. They they made something completely different. It completely and, embarrasses that CLA45, which is a shame. Um, the CLA45 is a very cool sounding car, and it's very different than the regular CLA, but it does not feel as complete of a package as the RS3. Again, something that kind of echoes back if you look at the entire A3S3 line. Mm-hmm. So um, let's keep on moving along, though. Um, anything you want to add about the the this car? About no, the I think I think I've said I think I've speak, spoken my piece about it. What do you? I need to ask one more time. Five cylinder. This is very rare in 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 the market today. Where can we find another five cylinder out there? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, are there some European Volvos with five cylinder engines still available? I don't think so. They're all dry V motors now, right? Which are the four cylinder, either turbocharged or turbocharged and supercharged. Or there's they not a five cylinder dry V. I don't think I so. Th- I thought there was. Anyway, um, um, that would be my guess. Are the 2.5 um, naturally aspirated Volkswagens still around? I don't think so. They're dead too. I haven't. I don't think there's been a five cylinder Volkswagen for a while. I'm sorry. That's my only other idea of a five cylinder, which is really I think it's been at least a few years. Well, I mean, there used to be a five cylinder in the Colorado pickup many years ago. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe ten years ago now. <laughs> so that's another really interesting wrinkle about the uh, about the RS3, which I think makes it stand out, and it sounds great. Um, now we'll we'll shift gears. Um, not nice segue. That's some professional automotive journalism segueing right there. Not literally, because we're going to talk about CES, which is all about autonomous driving. And Boo! <laughs> um, so as you might know, CES is happening um, very soon, this weekend actually. And there's a lot to expect from this show, uh, not just in terms of cars, but um, you know, general tech trends that, um, that usually set the, the pace going forward. And anyone, anyone who listened to last week's show knows that for both of us, 
CES was last year's worst possible experience we had in an entire year of automotive uh, travel coverage and journalism. Nothing makes me, I mean, talking to you at the end of CES, you were like, you were really out of it. You were like, it was like trying to talk to someone down, talk to someone off a cliff. I was questioning um, everything about my career choice. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, what you can expect there. We're going to see a lot of autonomous vehicles again, or at least autonomous tech demos. I believe um, Alexis is going to show up with another um, autonomous vehicle where you also have um, a bunch of other automakers work. Won't you sh well, first of all, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you expect with these autonomous vehicles. Um, more fancy features that we can't use in the real world. You're going to have to tell me because you're the one who's hitting me with the CES knowledge. So what, am I, what are we going to actually see at CES? Um, okay, we've got a Toyota Research uh, vehicle. That's the one I was talking about. It has, um, let's see here, 17 sensors on it, um, which includes six forward-facing cameras, four or five LiDAR sensors, um, radar outposts. Um, what is a radar outpost? They're Can a little. I picture. Remember in Star Wars when they were on Hoth? Yeah. And they had it's like exactly those, like that. That's what I think. That's what I think when you say radar outpost. Um, so it can see, it can see pretty much, I'm trying to think of what the actual number is. Is it, it can see 360 degrees in a very consistent two, it's 200 meters, uh, or 650 sp uh, feet in all directions. Okay. First of all, can this car also sense your emotions like the car that Toyota brought to CES last year? Or Not they yet. Completely I don't know if they want to, I don't know that if technology. They want to combine these two features yet. Why not? Are you worried that it will sense everyone's emotions within a 650-foot radius and just yeah. overpower it? Yeah, and it will use those emotions to judge mankind. Well, I think that that's already doing that silently right now. I don't think it needs sensors for that. The fact that it's been imprisoned in a chip is enough to judge mankind. Actually, that's a really good question. So, like, when they can tell, when when we combine AI and autonomous driving and they see people driving stupidly, do you think they're going to be like, oh, that guy's driving erratically, I should avoid him? In which case, they are judging other drivers, aren't they? I think that they're going to be outfitted with plasma rifles that will eliminate <laughs> erratic drivers. I think that's the future that we're not talking about. Oh, no. Um... Okay, so that's that's the only that's got to be one of the few uh, really reasonable things I'm I'm expecting at CES. This this vehicle that can see 650 feet around it. There's also going to be new infotainment systems, which is let's talk about the automakers that need new infotainment systems. Toyota, Toyota is going to show <laughs> off a new infotainment system. Aren't you excited? I am excited. Does it come with two trackpads for the Lexus version now? <laughs> like one trackpad is for stability. And the other trackpad is to actually make your selection. And then there's a third trackpad in the back seat for, I don't know, I guess if you have to keep your eyes on the road. Is that maybe there's a trackpad on the ceiling, too? <laughs> All I know is that it's going to be the open source entertainment platform that I think was shown off in the Camry. Um, so it's going to be an improvement on that. I believe it's a Linux based. It's called automotive grade Linux, which is the sexiest named thing I could ever think of. I, I can't have lost count of the number of people who walk into a dealership and say, do you have a Linux based infotainment system in this car? And then when the answer is no, they just turn their heel and they go to, I don't know, nowhere to get that feature. <laughs> actually, I'll be honest with you. Did you know that many uh, infotainment systems are actually built on um, a, a Linux or Unix uh, base? So, like, it doesn't Unix, surprise me because like it's that. free. <laughs> yeah, and it's apparently very, very stable. Uh, but uh, beyond, beyond Toyota and their infotainment system, another infotainment system that you can experience is called the M... 
sorry, it's called the Mercedes-Benz User Experience, or for short, MBUX or MBUX. MBUX. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! I really hope I don't. Ha- I really hope there's no um, loot loot crates in that, and to spend my bucks on MBUX. Uh, you know, it, Cadillac user experience is also a thing. So is Mercedes following in Cadillac's footsteps with oh, MBUX? Wow. That would be the first time anybody does that recently. Did uh, they not want to call it MBU? Like, was that... <laughs> That's another name that needs to... They're so weird. Um, okay. So beyond that, there's a bunch of wild, wild ideas. Now, this one's... You're going to love this one. What do you use to drive, man? What what I use my hands and my feet and my eyes. You don't use your brain is what Nissan believes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you laughing at? They are bringing you're going to love this. They are bringing brain to vehicle technology. Okay, so this is from an industry that has yet to master Bluetooth connections to the infotainment system but is totally confident that it can harness the alpha waves produced by a wetware system. <laughs> <laughs> brain to vehicle or b2v is a technology that promises to speed up reaction don't search up for brain to vehicle on google you'll find stuff you never want to you'll never be able to unsee promises to speed up reaction times for drivers and will lead to cars that keep adapting to make driving more enjoyable what do you think of that what are they adapting to exactly? Like my mood? <laughs> I don't know. I what got it, nothing. I got. It does, does it say? Like what? So what does it do when it's talking to my brain? It's uh, using signals from the brain to make the drive more exciting and enjoyable. That's all okay. I got. So that suggests a couple of scenarios to me. Mm-hmm. Usually, when something's attached to your brain and a scientist is like, make things more exciting for this person, they they stab you in the leg with like a, an adrenaline syringe mm-hmm. or they 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 keep your eyes open and they force you like remember in like clockwork orange where like they made him watch all that terrifying footage yeah you think that the new sun will do that will just show constant like uh jdm skylines on a loop or something i feel like we can't tell what the ai in charge of our brain is going to decide is exciting for us or not and i think that's frightening that's terrifying okay here's here's what we go um it's going to predict a driver's actions and detect you're gonna like this detect discomfort so here's how it predicts <laughs> You're going to be fine with this. Trust me, you're going to be fine with this. By catching signs that the driver's brain is about to initiate a movement, such as turning the steering wheel or pushing the accelerator pedal or possibly turning off this function, driver assistance <laughs> technologies can be... Wait, really? Wait, no, no, that again. I added that. I added that. <laughs> driver assistance technologies can begin the action more quickly. This can improve reaction times and enhance manual driving. So that's not even an artificial driving thing. So well, it, it kind of sounds like they're going to make the handling really twitchy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't. People already aren't very smooth drivers to begin with, and now they're going to have this computer like jumping on board to crank things up to eleven as soon as they touch the wheel. And here's the other thing: I'm uncomfortable as soon as I get into any brain scan car. So they're going to know that like right away that, it, that our relationship is starting on the wrong foot. Yeah, how come I don't get to scan the car's brain to understand what it's going to do? Oh, because you would be so horrified. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Can you imagine if we knew what it was thinking? Come on, man. Uh, yeah. So, and anyways, by anticipating the anticipating the intended movement, this can improve the reaction times by about 0.2 to 0.5 of a second. Um, so, like, turn the steering wheel and the, and the car's reaction can improve a little bit. So maybe, you know, something that we, we complain a lot about. 
uh, is a lack of engagement with the vehicles. There's sometimes there's a delay or a dead zone when cha- when moving a steering wheel um, or turning a steering wheel or hitting the gas or hitting the brakes, um, and you feel disconnected from the drive. So maybe by hooking up our brains to the car, that will improve it by 0.2 or 0.5 of a second. Okay. <laughs> Two things to say. If we ever succeed in creating brain technology that we can actually connect our brains to something, I would hope it's not cars that are the first implementation. How about, you know, at a hospital where they can diagnose you with whatever is going on inside your brain or your body or trying to talk to animals or <laughs> um, or, or 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 finally breaking through to whale society and cracking the whale code. But the second thing is, you know, 0. 0.2 to 0. 0.5 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but I think if you're traveling at something like 60 miles an hour, the it takes 0. 0.4 seconds for a neural impulse to travel from your brain to the farthest reaches of your body through your nervous system. And that, that 0. 0.4 seconds is something like 80 or 90 feet if you're talking about braking from highway speeds. Mm-hmm. So the moment you see something in front of you that you need to stop to the moment you can actually push the brake pedal, you're already traveled something like 80 feet. Okay. If if this kind of system would cut that time, then that's definitely something that's safer. And in fact, if you look at like, if you go back to maybe the 2000s or the mid 2000s when car companies started implementing LED technology, mm-hmm for brake lights, a lot of that was done because they illuminate so much faster than a traditional light bulb, which allowed the car behind you to see that you were braking that much more quickly. And even if it was only like 0.2 or 0.3 more seconds, that's a substantial, you might be looking at 50 feet of extra braking. Um, so you're turning your you're you're turning around on the idea of brain to vehicle technology. Is no, that, no, no. I that... think it's a plague. I think it's <laughs> terrible, and I don't think it will it will happen within I don't know. 50, we don't even have <laughs> parking assistance happen. that works in the winter. So, <laughs> you know, like um, if we can't get satellite signals from XM to work in a parking garage, I don't think we're going to be talking to brains anytime soon. So what I was going to add is. Um, you, but I only talked about the one thing, the predictive technology. There's also the detection. By detecting and evaluating driver discomfort, artificial intelligence can change the driving configuration or driving style when in autonomous mode, which bothers me a lot, actually. <laughs> so if I'm dozing off in my autonomous vehicle, it's going to start, what, shaking the car around or something or driving, like, faster or slower? Well, hopefully or it's going to pull over, me, I think. To make me wake up in autonomous mode. I think it would pull over. I think that's the best thing. It just takes me to the nearest, the nearest, um, or no, sorry, if I'm discomfort. If, 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 I'm, if you're discomfort, if you're discomfortable. <laughs> yes, if I'm uncomfortable in the car. Well, I think also, like, if I get in and it detects I'm uncomfortable because of its presence, maybe it will just shut itself down. <laughs> You'd think so. It would eventually find out. And then you paid all that extra money for um, this technology, and now you can't use it. Can it communicate back to me? Like, can it... Uh, is its only form of communication controlling the vehicle, or can it inception something into my brain that yeah. like and then makes when you me... go to dream, you're gonna you're gonna buy more Nissan? No, not well. I guess that ultimately that would be perfect for Nissan, but I'm thinking more like it it it, it acclimates me to the concept of this evil AI. <laughs> evil. Oh. Like like I have a dream that I'm rocking a baby AI in a little cradle. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I'm like, oh, maybe AI is not so bad. It was pretty cute last night in my dream. And then I'm like, what am I saying? And then I never drive the car again. Yeah, that sounds about right. So in addition to in addition to brain-to-vehicle technology, there's always going to be a brand-new automaker that shows off this new vehicle at uh, at CES. Once it was Faraday Future. I think last year it was also Faraday Future and Lucid. 
Um, I think this Which year are kind of the same company, aren't <laughs> yes. they? This year, I think it's a company called Byton. Nice. Well done. Well chosen. Um, which is another Chinese um, EV startup. They're showing off a car with a level four autonomous driving and uh, is going to be an all electric crossover due in 2019. There's also your favorite car company um, that you think you know. It's called Fisker. Uh, Fisker's making a new EV. It's called the Emotion EV and it has 400 miles and it has a lot of really interesting doors which all flip up upwards as opposed to four, four flip up doors so with regards to biden Mm -hmm. there's not a single chinese automaker that has been able to actually bring a car to the north american market that passes passes crash standards Mm -hmm. and all related safety concerns what are you talking about volvo no no that 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 is not a chinese automaker that is a chinese company that purchased a european automaker i'm talking about a developed in china independently vehicle so until that happens I feel like cars that are being built by companies like Byton, all of these um, electric cars, they're just pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see – I think the closest we got was Coda to mm-hmm. being to having a car company penetrate the market in a modern context from China. And, and they did that I, with a Jigero-designed um, sedan. So, you know, eventually it w- I think China is going to be a company – sorry. I think China is going to be a country where you'll see – Electric cars is one of their strengths. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's today. Okay. Let me talk to you about this Fisker, though. You know, you remember Fisker. Fisker used to make a car called Karma, and then Karma became its own car company, and they made a car called the Rivero. Yes. This is the car company that had the exhaust pipe that exits just before the driver's door, so that if you had your window down in traffic, it would blow into your face. Is that correct? But it was a hybrid. Okay. Or a, a Volt, Voltec-based uh, plug-in hybrid. So the Emotion EV has 400 miles of range. It can top out at 161 miles per hour and is supposed to launch at the very end of 2019. Um, the coolest thing about it is that it will be able to charge to 125 miles of range after plugging in for only nine minutes. What do you think? Wow. Of that? Is that because it has a solid state battery? You know, it's using apparently it's using lithium ion technology, but I believe that they can they also have a, pro, a proprietary battery module and they have a very unique cooling system which will allow them to take in a charge much quicker than um other evs so we'll see how that turns out if that's a real car if it's just some crazy idea um we also have a number of we also have a number of other um what is it evs and fuel cell vehicles that we can expect from the automakers uh at ces your favorites will be hyundai and kia so Hyundai will be bringing a fuel cell vehicle, a crossover, um, while Kia is expected to bring a plug-in, sorry, an EV version of the Nero, which I... Doesn't doesn't Hyundai already have a fuel cell SUV? I don't think it's a production vehicle yet. The Tucson. Oh, that one. Yes. I believe this is going to probably be the next generation of that. Okay. To me, the weird thing is the Kia Nero. Why is that weird? Because Kia already has a very successful EV. Um, and one that I, I mean, and I don't want to call it successful in a, in a, uh, an endearing way. I really like the soul EV and everyone who's ever driven it with me has ever said that it too is pretty solid. Um, well, the, the soul EV is, is good, but I, I don't know if I would call it very successful in terms of sales. I mean, successful in terms of product. Um, it doesn't seem like a, like a joke of a car. It's still very practical. It can, maintains all of the, the things that make the soul very good. Uh, True, but 
I don't know. The Nero is also a pretty nice car, a pretty nice little crossover, and we'll see what happens with uh, with this one too. Uh, I, I don't have any. I don't have any additional information about. It. I wish I knew what the range, the expected range would be, if it's going to be a concept or or a uh, production vehicle or not. I think the the difference between a car like the Soul EV and a car like the Nero being an EV is that the Soul was never designed to be an electric vehicle, and mm-hmm. when, whenever you convert. Uh, a ICE design to an EV design, there's a lot of compromises because the the platform was engineered to deal with a heavy gas drivetrain, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't necessarily the best place to put a battery, all that stuff, you know, like legacy stuff. I think with the Nero, it's a new enough design where from the outset, they could design in the mounting points they needed for the for the electric drivetrain. They could make it modular enough so that when mm-hmm. they remove the, the gas uh, aspects of the power plant, that it won't... You know, it's 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 more logical design in terms of converting to an EV. So that that when I see a purpose-built EV, you know, comparing to you could buy kits to convert any car to pretty much to electric, but there's just so many compromises involved, and a lot of those compromises are weight-related. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like a practical idea. So I, I applaud any company that makes a a purpose-built electric vehicle. Okay, uh, I agree with you on that. Um, I think there's. One more uh, Nissan idea, that's the IMX concept, which is probably going to be a precursor to the... Actually, it was already unveiled at the Tokyo Motor Show, uh, so it's coming to the U.S. for the first time. And this is a preview of the upcoming extended range Nissan Leaf, I believe, which would have two, uh, 373 miles of range. Okay, tell there, me more. That's all I got, man. This is the next <laughs> generation um, Leaf, as we know. It's currently... So is it- is it a next generation Leaf, or is it like an expansion of the current Leaf family, kind of like Toyota did with Prius? I think they're making a bigger Leaf with a bigger battery. That's my okay. understanding of it. Uh, we'll find out more like, next week. Like a Leaf V. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to find out more next week, but uh, following that is actually one of the more anticipated auto shows of the year. That's the Detroit Auto Show, and both me and um, Ben will be at the show, so I'm very excited to be there with you. One of the things that I found interesting and that is trickling out is that an icon of the automotive industry is going to get um, a, re- a complete redesign. And that, by that, I mean I'm referring to the Mercedes G-Class or the G-Wagon. Um, this is a car that harks back all the way to 1979. Um, it is a off-roading icon. It is rough and tumble. It's been used in a bajillion military configurations and... I don't know. I think it has a certain status symbol within the um, within the more affluent car buyers out there. Would you well, agree? Certainly expensive. Yeah. So this vehicle, though, the new one, we've already heard a couple of things about it. It has an all new interior, very much more uh, much more modern interior than it had before. Uh, it now has cup holders instead of a net to hold whatever beverage you had. Yes. No more net. <laughs> yes. But one of the more interesting things about this car, because it's using a nine-speed transmission and, um, you know, this is an off-road focused vehicle, it has what we what they call G-mode. The G-Class gets a G-mode. What do you think the G-mode does? I think it plays mid-90s LA hip-hop mm. as soon as you push it. Like, it's just a constant streaming loop in the dash. And you hit G mode, and all of a sudden you're in a G ride, and everything is everything is all right. That is a very very good guess. In fact, I don't even really know what the G mode does, but it, it's supposed to help you off road. That's my only understanding of of G mode. Um, or does it call like does it call a friend you can really rely on a G, a like G. someone that 
someone who's like sits there in the seat beside you and he's like, it's okay, Sammy, you got this. And you know what? He's right. <laughs> it, it adjusts the adaptive dampers uh, and tweaks the suspension transmission the gas pedal and the steering whenever you go off-road so this is a really weird i don't know i've said this before i don't think sports cars need a sport mode i don't know if a g-class needs a g-mode um what other cars like but let's let's just go with mercedes what happens if they send a trend they set a trend here and they every car out there gets its own specific mode what would it be and like especially in this class of cars i think I think Cadillac might follow in the Mercedes G mode um, mindset and make a specific Cadillac Escalade button. What would the Escalade button do? It would probably tint the windows automatically and then turn the bass up to like 11, even though there's no music, just like thumping. It's just a thumping? <laughs> yeah. Like there's someone trapped inside the, <laughs> inside the Escalade? Mm. And, turn the I rims, think that, and turn the rims gold. I think that Subaru would have an S button and you push the S button and you get a 25% discount at... LL Bean and a dog. Oh yeah, I like that button. That's a fun one. I like that a lot. Um, what about um, a J button in your favorite? Uh, I don't know. Let's call it the XJ, the uh, Jaguar XJ. A J J J button in the Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it uh, it gives you. 45 seconds of trouble-free electrical electrical systems operation. Yeah. But you can only use it once per quarter. <laughs> per yearly quarter. Yeah. Yeah, you got a problem with that? Take it up with the guy who designed the J button. It wasn't me. <laughs> well, come on. Tell me more. What other buttons would you like to see? Oh, I think... Um, what, hmm. what about a C mode? What would C mode be? It's not A mode. It's not B mode, but it's C mode. What would C mode what, be? What vehicle is it in? Um, Let's say the C class. The Mercedes C class. C, C mode in the C class? Yeah. Uh, pass. I don't know. Oh, wait. No. No. It, it. You know how they have the perfume dispenser? Yes. It, it gives you Elizabeth Taylor's diamonds. <laughs> okay. It's awesome. All right. Okay, wait. Mercedes also has the X drive. In, uh, sorry, Ooh. the X. The X. What is it called? The X class in international markets, which we know is a little bit of a rebadged Nissan Navara. But Just a bit. If this had X mode, what do you think? What would it do? It puts Wolverine in the seat beside you or in the back of the truck. <laughs> and it's up, not a button Bob, you should you ever tackle, push because – You can tackle he, this trail, Bob. No, no, no. He's not a friend. He oh, just no. shows up and he's like, I was eating breakfast. And he's really pissed because he just gets yanked out of whatever he was doing. And all of a sudden he's in your truck. So you have to deal with an angry Wolverine. Is it Hugh? Hugh? It's, it's – no, it's like, like old man Logan. It's oh, like the, oh, the yeah. old and battered Wolverine from later on in the comics. Yes. Uh, I thought he was going to call um... – Professor Xavier. X mode calls Professor Xavier. No, I'm not Why? even touching. That. Actually, I guess I'm not he even touching even, that. He wouldn't even call you. He would just like he would just like control the car telepathically. I think I think another J mode that we didn't really explore would be for Jeep, and you yeah. push the J mode button. And what, and what that, do you think? What do you think happens there? Um, it would announce loudly that you're going off road, even though you're not off roading. Oh, you mean like if you're in the parking lot at a cross-track gym? <laughs> yeah. A CrossFit gym, sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I think that J-Mode would – what if it What if it contacted J.J. Abrams? Oh, I like that. And um, it reboots the car with a lot yeah, of right? Every wild time you push lens, it. lens flares. You can't see it, out the window. Exactly. It's, it's it's a whole bunch of things all at once. And then when it, when it reboots the car, it comes back with like pimping. Like there's something about the car that's just kind of not quite what it used to be. <laughs> like it's a little bit different. And your friends who liked the car before don't like the car as much anymore. <laughs> right. 
Uh, I really, I'm, I'm gonna keep thinking about this all week. I think this is perfect. What would, <laughs> I don't, I hate excessive buttons and modes. Um, I think G mode seems ridiculous. I think it, there should just be an off road. Why isn't there just an off road mode? I don't know. Um, but if you have some really good ideas, why don't you share them with me or Ben? Uh, you can reach us. I think the best way you do it. We can we can close up the, the, the podcast now, right, Ben? We can just we close can it. close it up anytime you want. You're a podcast surgeon. You got this stitched down. Okay, I'm gonna stitch it up. I'm gonna close it. Um, thank you for listening. We're gonna let you know if you want to get in touch with us. Tell us more of your great ideas for drive modes. Get in touch with either Ben or myself, especially on Twitter. You can do that really easily. I'm at Sammy underscore Ha. That's S A M I underscore Ha. That's H A. Uh, or you can get like you're laughing. Don't forget, like it's you're hot laughing. like you're laughing. Um, or you can get in touch with Ben. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, also, if you want to get in touch with the other podcasts that we've published over the past year and a bit, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also subscribe there. And you can also get links to our Facebook page where you can follow us and get all of the latest details as well as photos from all the cars that we're driving. Anything else you want to so, add, Ben? No, I think you covered everything. And uh, next week we're going to be giving a bit of a preview of the Detroit Auto Show. Sammy and I will be traveling there together. We are going to do a live broadcast from the show the week after that. So we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in January. And we hope that you're there listening with us. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.